Well, good morning. We're going to be finishing Second uh, Thessalonians, our study in Thessalonians. So, of course, I'm going to have you turn to First Timothy chapter three. Um, and while we're doing that, uh, just a couple of announcements. Um, okay. Uh, the white Hyundai Sonata uh, that's in the uh, far parking lot, the license plate. L-A-J-7-5-3, we need that car moved so some other people can get out. So if you have a white Hyundai Sonata uh, with that license plate, L-J-7-5-3, uh, we would like to have you move your car so some people can get out. Uh, the other announcement is if you enjoyed singing those uh, Christmas hymns, we invite you to come uh, Saturday night. We're just going to read the some of the prophecies and some of the scriptures about the birth of Christ, sing some Christmas songs, and then just think about what they, those writers of those hymns were trying to communicate to us, uh, looking at, at some of the words uh, from the well-known Christmas hymns. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and uh, to the end of the chapter. I am writing these things, he's, Paul's writing to Timothy, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look at this last passage of, of 2 Thessalonians that you would uh, speak to our hearts. We just commit this time to you asking for you to speak to us because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy, and as we read, so that you will know how one to ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The word household means family. The church is the family of God. And um, every family has its own rules of conduct. I don't know if you remember back when the first time you realized visiting with some of your friends, probably somewhere in grade school, that not all families have the same rules. That's something that uh, my family would not permit. Some of my friends, their family did permit. And... Uh, and the church of God is a family, and the church of God has its own rules of conduct. Every family has its method of discipline. Uh, so does the church. On the positive side of, of discipline is teaching, encouraging, rewarding. On the negative side is confronting, warning, and correcting. And the church of Thessalonica, which was a really good church, Paul talks about them being an example to all the other churches. He has so much positive to say about them, but they were facing persecution. And then there was this idea of the coming of the Lord was so soon that some people felt, well, we should just quit our jobs and wait for the Lord and, and just spend our time in, in singing and reading the scriptures and, and nothing wrong with those two things. Um, and, and not work. But, you know, the Lord didn't come. Well, you got to eat, 
So then they began to go to other Christians and say, hey, uh, you need to help me. <laughs> we're, we're family, and uh, so we need you to kind of support us while we're waiting for the Lord to come. And, and so Paul is writing, um, and previously we've seen Paul teaching, sometimes even providing new truths that uh, God had revealed to him uh, for the church, reminding them of things previously taught, encouraging them by praise and prayer and the reminder of the examples of Paul, Silas, and Timothy when they were there, and by pointing out to them the coming day of reward. But Paul's also confronted uh, some bad behaviors, warned, and often offered uh, correction. And so uh, he, he did that in 1 Thessalonians, Second Thess, he reads that some false teachings come in that's bolstered this view, and, uh, and so he writes the second letter, again, to encourage them. And at the end of this letter, if you turn back to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is going to uh, take a, a harder stand. I can remember growing up as a kid and, and dad would say, now this is what you need to do. And if I didn't do it, dad would say, now apparently you have a problem hearing. Uh, this is what we're going to do. And this is what's going to happen if you don't. And usually um, it happened uh, because I didn't listen. And so Paul's doing the same thing here. So second uh, Thessalonians, we're picking it up. In verse 6, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the traditions which you have received from us. This word unruly is, is a word uh, only found in First and Second Thessalonians. He used it in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, and now he's using it here uh, two times in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 3. And it, it's a military term for a soldier marching out of, out of sync with, with the other soldiers. Uh, if you ever saw Gomer Pyle uh, when you were growing up, you know, you would see them marching and, and Gomer be going along and and he would be doing that kind of thing. And, and it was very obvious that somebody wasn't with the group. They were living, uh, they were acting separate. Um, it also is used of an army that marched out in order to battle. But in the battle, uh, they're being defeated. And like a mob, they're racing back. There's no order. There's no uh, groupness anymore. Each one's doing his own thing. It was also a term that was used back then you would uh, be, uh, if you wanted to become a, a woodworker, your parents would sign a contract with a woodworker and you would become his apprentice. And there were uh, guidelines. You had to work for him for so many days and then he would uh, promote you to journeyman and, and you could uh, move up. And this word was used of apprentice that didn't show up for work all the days they were supposed to show up. And so it not only had an idea of being out of sync with other people, being out of order, but it also had this idea of not 
fulfilling your obligations. And so Paul is writing, and he's talking about these people. Some in the Thessalonian church that were breaking ranks with other believers and not fulfilling their obligations. Drop down to verse 11, and uh, we'll, we'll look at what they were doing. Did I? Um, Verse 11, uh, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. Uh, the first thing we find in verse 11 is they're refusing to work. So these people, it's not that they can't work. The Bible clearly says if someone's unable to work, the family gathers around and helps in that situation. But these are people who are refusing to work. They can work. They're choosing not to work. Secondly, uh, in verse 11, it says they're acting like busybodies. Paul uses a play on words in the Greek, not busy working, but busybodies. It has the idea of maliciously being interested in the affairs of others. Someone translated it, not busy in their own business, but are over, over busy in other people's business. So they have this free time, and instead of using this free time for what's good, they're, they're just bothering other people. They're getting too involved in other people's um, lives and business. And then number three, they're asking to be supported by the church at the end of verse 12, it says, and eat their own bread. See, they're not working. They don't want to face the consequences that comes from not working. Uh, and so they, they sponge off other believers. And Paul says, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is out of sync behavior. So back in, in verse 6, he says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the traditions which you received from us. Notice he says some. Not every person in the church was doing this. There, there's some in the church uh, that were doing this. Um, and they were using this false teaching on the day of the Lord and the coming of Christ to stop working to support themselves. Instead, sponging off of others, meddling in the business of others. And so he talks about uh, disciplining them. Um, the New Testament clearly teaches that the local church is to discipline believers who continue in unrepented sin. Uh, I like Wearsby's description, discipline is correcting love. And as we'll see, the goal of such discipline is always to see repentance and restoration. This is not the only example of, of church discipline in the scripture, and we don't have time this morning to take a comprehensive look at all the different scenarios where the church disciplines. Uh, this passage is on the discipline of an unruly or undisciplined person. This passage needs to be understood in the context of previous given examples, instruction, and warning. So I want you to turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. Um, Paul says to them, 
for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to burden any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul says, look, remember our example. We worked. We were there to preach the gospel, but we didn't want to be a burden to you, so we worked, uh, and it was a hardship to us, but we worked and preached the gospel. Uh, so he had given them an example. Over to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, and um, verse 11, he says, uh, back up a phrase to pick it up in, in verse 10, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to live a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be any need. There he, he is given instruction. Live a quiet life. Don't get carried away by, by all these trends and things and, that are coming in that make uh, for an unruly life. And do your own work. Work with your hands. Work is good. Work was given before the fall. Work is God's plan for, for mankind. Do your work because other people are watching and you're giving the gospel and your life needs to line up with the gospel. And, and if you're not marching in tune with the gospel, you're a distraction and a hindrance to the gospel. And then in chapter 5, verse 14, he says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And he picked, he again, now he's saying, all right, listen. Those of you there at Thessalonica, you need to warn, to admonish, we'll look at that word a little later, uh, the unruly, these people who are living this way. And he gives other instruction for those that are struggling, and for those that are, are overburdened. Um, and so he's, he's already done a lot of this correction, this teaching, this encouragement. And these people have not responded. And because of that, now is going to come a harsher discipline. And so the command, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 6, to the obedient church is to withdraw from this one. Um, notice he says, we command you. This is a military term for an order handed down from a superior officer. And the Lord Jesus tells where this order comes from. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the full title of Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. Jesus Christ. You don't get to choose. You're in God's family. You don't get to choose to live however you want in God's family. There are rules. My, my dad, when I would say to my dad, hey, a bunch of my friends are doing this. And I knew our family didn't do that. And he would say to me, is their last name Farber? No, go find a farber who does that here in Independence. We're the only farbers in Independence. That's right. <laughs> and God says the same thing to his children. That's not how my children live. 
And as you claim my name and that Jesus is your Lord, then you need to conduct yourself as the scripture lays out. And so he says, withdraw from them. Um, this, is, this is a term um, that means an orderly separation. They were to make an orderly separation of themselves from the lady, lazy and disorderly. This is not excommunication that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which is putting them outside the church and asking God to drop the hedge of protection so that they might taste um, the fierceness of the world and, and Satan's attack and understand that being in the church often offers real benefits. Um, this lack of contact would illustrate in a graphic way the spiritual gap the behavior of the unruly had created. Remember, the unruly are out of step with the church. The behavior was in direct disobedience to the authoritative apostolic instruction and example. You notice he says, not according uh, to the traditions which you have received. This is not the traditions you think of where, where someone says, listen, uh, we've been doing it that way since my great-grandfather was a baby, and so we're going to keep doing it. No, that's, it's not that. This is the apostolic, as Caleb pointed out so well last week, this is the word of God. Paul, 1 Thessalonians, where Paul commanded this, is in the word of God. This passage is in the word of God. This is God's instruction. In verses 7 through 10, he gives us the, the apostolic um, example. Verse 7. For you, are, you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. There's that same word. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we did not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give this order, if anyone's not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Paul says, think back to our example. When we came and were preaching the gospel, we had the right when you had received Christ to expect you to support us in this work of preaching the gospel. That was our right as, as preachers of the gospel. We gave up that right. We chose not to act selfishly, but to act sacrificially. Why? Because that's in line with the message of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We wanted our ministry to line up with the gospel so there would be no hindrance to the gospel. These people who are acting unruly, not only are they, they causing distraction and division in the church that's already being pounded from the outside, but they are... Um, they're actually undercutting the gospel. This, this sacrificial living that God wants to, to back up the message of the gospel. Um, discipline is a teaching moment. Every parent knows that. 
I expect if you're a parent, you've sat down with your kid and said, okay, what did you do wrong? Why are we having this line in the sand moment? What is wrong with this behavior? And, and you have an opportunity to teach um, why discipline is there. And so he's going to give uh, some instruction um, for the, oh, sorry. Um, for the dis, disobedient, verse 12, um, he says, shape up. Look at verse 12. Now such persons we command and exhort in Lord Jesus to work in a quiet fashion. Remember, you heard that back in chapter 4, verse 11. And to eat their own bread. Shape up. Um, you're not living as brethren. You're living for yourself. You're living uh, selfishly. You're causing uh, a problem. So we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus. That's who these commands come from. For the obedient brethren, verse 13, he says, but as for you, brethren, notice he calls the others such people. Why? Because they're not acting like brethren. But you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not let their actions affect your actions. Um, psalm 37 is a very interesting psalm. I was teaching on it at, at Friendship Village. Um, and in there, there's a command. He says, do not fret because of evildoers. Fret means to burn, to become hot and bothered. And then he says, do not be envious towards wrongdoers. That's where you start to act like them. You know, if, if you introduce a very lazy worker onto a work site, in a few days, you're going to have more than one lazy worker. It's just the way it is. And so he says, don't let their behavior affect your behavior. You've been living well. You've been doing your work. You, you've been living in line with the gospel. Don't let them affect you um, and, and keep you uh, from living this way. Don't let them sap your commitment to Christ or change it. Well, what if they don't respond? So first you separate. And what you're saying is, listen, this behavior's not right. And so we're not going to um, spend a lot of time together because uh, that behavior's wrong. And, and we just can't justify it. And you hope that that, that wakes them up uh, to what they're doing. But what if they don't um, respond? Um, well, he says, verse 14... If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, notice it's, it's this letter now. We've, we've gone through the example. We've gone through the teaching. We've gone through the warning. Now we've, we've gone through a, a level of church discipline to wake them up, to hopefully they'll look at their behavior in a different way, see the problems it's causing. But if they don't do that, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so he'll be put to shame. Um, again, this is not excommunication. Uh, the purpose of this discipline is to make the offender feel ashamed and constrain him to mend his ways. You know, sometimes social pressure can be effective in helping the disobedient person come to his or her um, 
awareness of, of their pattern of behavior and, and how it's affecting others, how it's affecting the gospel. But he adds, uh, verse 15, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Um, you know, Paul possibly concerned that they might overdo the discipline. Paul urges them to treat the offender as a brother, not as an enemy. They're not to view him as antagonistic. Oh, he's just doing this um, because uh, that's the way he is. No, um, they're not to feel hostility towards him. They're to admonish, not denounce him. And so we want to look at this we want to look at this word admonish. Um, it's a word called um, nutheo. Jay Adams calls his method of counseling nuthetic counseling. It, it's, it's a real difficult word to translate. If you looked up all the places in the New Testament where it's found, you'll find warn, you'll find instruct, you'll find counsel, um, you'll find... Um, just a, a discipline, train, uh, correct. Um, but it has kind of three main ideas. The first is that there's a fatherly concern. So it's used of a father in Ephesians 6 training his child. Paul to the Corinthians in uh, 1 Corinthians 4 says, like a father, I'm, I'm trying to, to admonish you, to teach you. Um, so it has this idea, uh, you're really concerned for the person. The second idea is uh, that there's opposition present. That what you're talking to this person about, uh, there's opposition in their life to, to what you want to visit with them about. And the third is that um, it, it's, it's teaching. There's, there's uh, truth that's that's being communicated, um, and it really has the idea of, of correcting with the word, but, and the goal is to correct something that's gonna cause them harm. So this person's headed down a path. Uh, Paul, or David, prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and try me. See if there's any way of pain in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Proverbs says the way of the sinner is hard. And so uh, David had the sense of saying, God, show me if, if you know that some actions I'm going to take are going to be disastrous. And that's what this is kind of doing. You're trying to get a hold of this person while the, the sin is still small, while the problem is not gained a foothold in their life because they're headed down a path that's going to cost them big. Now, I already blew my picture, but um, there was a discovery in New Zealand in 2004. This is Shrek the sheep. Shrek had gotten away from his shepherd and hid in some caves for six years. A normal sheep has about 10 pounds of wool. He has 60 pounds of wool. They made 20 men's suits from this sheep's uh, wool. And he was dirty, there were sticks, there was filth involved. He was one unhappy sheep. And he got found. 
Now, the solution, once he got found, was pretty easy. In 20 minutes, they, they sheared him. In fact, there was, when word of this sheep got out in New Zealand, it was so interesting, they sheared him on national TV. <laughs> and some people felt so bad they missed it that the next year they actually sheared him on an iceberg. I don't know how they got an iceberg in New Zealand, but on an iceberg out in the ocean, and, and they did it on national TV again. Um, you know, you could look at Shrek and say, well, man, he's got 60 pounds of of wool on him, and he's, he's dirty, and who knows what's in that wool besides dirt. Uh, that's a lot of weight, 60 pounds of wool to haul around. But you know what he really needs? The real problem is he got away from his shepherd. And it's real easy to look at the wool and say, well, we'll just shave him, turn him loose. He'll be right back where he was. And when we, we see people who are wandering away from the Lord, it's, it's real easy to, to focus on sin. And obviously, that's what you're admonishing them about. This way is, is a painful way. But the real problem is they've gotten away from the shepherd. And, and that's what Paul's trying to communicate to the Thessalonian church. These people have, have got a skewed view of things and, and they're not hearing the shepherd's voice who's commanding them to act in a certain way because he knows when he's coming. And, and so he's, he's communicating how we should live. And so Paul, Paul goes on and he ends uh, talking about the Lord's enablement. Look at verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The first thing he prays for is peace. This little assembly, they're being attacked from the outside, and now they've got a bunch of people on the inside causing distraction and division and, and problems for other Christians. Do I support this guy? Do I not support this guy? Paul said, if you won't work, you shouldn't eat. Um, and, and it's just all this turmoil. And this little church that had sounded out the gospel, in, in our terms, we'd say, uh, they sound out the gospel in Waterloo, and the people in southern Missouri were hearing about it. They were doing so well. And now they've got this, well, may the shepherd, who's the Lord of peace, and he wants himself, not to send Paul, not to send some angel, the Lord of peace himself wants to give this assembly peace. And so he, he prays for that. In, in this struggle of withdrawing, in this struggle of, of admonishing, really caring for these people. They're not enemies, they're brethren. So admonish them. But may the Lord bring peace because all of our exhortation, all of our teaching, all of our admonishment, if the Lord doesn't speak, it really is for nothing. And so it comes back to them with the Lord, just like it was for Shrek to be with his shepherd. And so he says, the Lord be with, and notice he says, you all. Paul had said, the Lord be with you in, in First Thessalonians, but here he wants, the, he wants those, even the unruly, to know his heart's desire is for all of them, obedient and disobedient. And then he writes, Verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. You've got a letter. 
You thought it was from me. I'm just giving you a key. If I write you again, here's how you'll know it's really me. And then at, at, in verse 18, he gives a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take God's grace to come in as, as the, those who, who are being obedient, they continue to obey the Lord graciously. They continue to interact with those who are disobedient uh, with grace. And they're gracious about how they do it. And, they, um, and the people who are disobedient need God's grace. It's hard to repent. It's hard to change course. And they need God's grace. You know, it's interesting. This letter begins with Paul asking for grace and peace for this church, and it ends with Paul making the same prayer. How much we need the peace of God and the grace of God in our lives. Well, as we close, every chapter in First and Second Thessalonians refers to the Lord's coming again. There's the rapture um, for believers, Lord himself will descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Dead in Christ be raised first and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. If you're here with a believer, that's your great hope. And then there's a revelation where we will come with the Lord, those of us who know Jesus Christ, and he'll get his glory and we'll be glorified in him. What an amazing thing. If you're here without Jesus Christ, you need to know Jesus Christ. He could come today. And we see in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 the difficult times that are going to come. And so we would appeal to anybody here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not sure that if you die, you'd, you have the confidence in Christ that you're going to be in heaven, we pray that you... Really think about it. We're going to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus. He came for you. He died for you. You can trust him. For those of us who are believers, it talks about holiness. A life of holiness is connected. Um, these are not in... And we could go back to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, but Titus 2 says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. John writes, abide in him so when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away at his coming. Are you ready for his coming? Are you walking in holiness? That's the will of God, he says. There's patient endurance. James writes, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Enduring putting one foot in front of the other, doing what's right, living daily for Jesus Christ. Be patient. Endure. There's 
to be a life without complaining gossip. Gossip, do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Not nitpicking other believers. Not nitpicking the, uh, the leadership of the church. Not uh, getting to somebody else and, and just uh, tearing down, maliciously complaining and attacking. Why? Because the Lord's coming. You don't want to be doing that. And you hear his voice. Share the gospel. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the, to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Timothy wasn't an evangelist. Timothy was a teacher. But Paul said, listen, preach the word. Preach the word. Share the gospel even though that's not your gift. Exercise your gift, but share the faith. Remember the Lord. We heard this this morning. Do this in the remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. There'll come a day when you won't be able to break bread and take the cup. It'll be better if the Lord Jesus will be here. But in the meantime, the Lord said, remember me. Meet with believers, not forsaking our assembling, our own assembling together as the habit of, uh, of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Be with other believers. Fellowship with other believers. Encourage, help other believers. Why? Because the Lord's coming. I can remember, oh, I won't tell bad stories. Um, but I can remember my mom and dad saying, we'll be back, watch over your, your siblings, and some of the things that happened, and some of the response when they came. Um, it wasn't always pleasant. You can look around this room. We're a body of believers in this local church. You and I are responsible for one another here. We're not islands. He's put us in a family a larger family, and you have Christian friends outside of this body. But in this local church, we have a responsibility for one another. Are you ready? Do you know that you're ready for Christ's coming? What in those areas that he's talked about in First and Second Thessalonians? What in those areas where we've looked at some others? What things in our lives do we want to change? Because the Lord's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Let's live like he's coming. Let's march in step. Not, not, we're all individuals. We all have individual gifts. God puts that in. But let's march together and show the world Christ is coming. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We think of the Christmas program tonight. We pray as the, the kids share the wonderful story of, of your son's coming. Lord, we pray that you would use that to speak to hearts. We pray as we go out in this Christmas season and, and people are singing these songs and the name of Jesus Christ is on lips. Lord, help us. Give us wisdom that we might share the hope we have because of that name that's on their lips. 
So Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you, your son has come. And as the angel said to the disciples on the Mount of Olives, this same Jesus will come again. And we look for that coming. Help us to live for that coming. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.